Well, amen. Good to see you today. How you doing? All right. Put your hands together so I know you got a pulse. Can you do that? That's good. Doesn't that feel better? All right. Well, I have been fighting a, a bit of a cold, so is my wife, and uh, so just pray for us. I will uh, uh, probably get through this message, and if not, we'll, uh, we'll just call it short, huh? How about that? I mean, everything I say is kind of like link sausage anyway. You just kind of cut it off and get another piece of the link and the, and the journey of life. You know, uh, this week, uh, boxing legend Muhammad Ali died, and I can remember those days uh, watching him on film, and, and, and he, was a, he was an entertainer first and a great boxer second. Somewhere in that journey of life, he was highly influenced by the nation of Islam, and he converted to Islam. Martin Luther King said of him, he was probably the greatest divider and promoter of segregation because of that act. It was in his 80s, uh, in the 1980s, that he uh, found the friendship of a pastor who really tried to pour into him Christianity. And he was highly interested. He really didn't know anything about real walking with God Christianity. And uh, that, that encounter was cut short by the nation of Islam who threatened that pastor with, with his, taking his own life. So anybody could, uh, could imagine what might have happened had that transformation taken place. One of the things, the stories I like about him, and as a child, by the way, my dad was, uh, in his early days, he was a, a, a semi-professional boxer, and so he had an interest in it. And when I turned about 14, he told me I was too old to be restricted at home and punished, and so uh, we would begin to box. So whenever I did anything wrong, dad would box with me. And uh, that didn't go real well for a few years until I was about 17, and he taught me everything that he probably knew or remembered at the time. And, and we were boxing. I caught him with the right cross, knocked him over the coffee table, broke three of his ribs, and he said, the boxing is over. But uh, we would go down to the Denver Arena and watch guys like Sonny Liston, who fought Muhammad Ali, was a world champion, watch him box. But one of the stories I like about Muhammad Ali was he was flying on a plane one time, and, and there was a lot of turbulence. And the captain came on and said, uh, you need to get in your seats, put on your seat belts. And everybody complied except Muhammad Ali. The flight attendant came up to him and said, uh, sir, you're going to need to put on your seat belt. And he was always flamboyant, always had something to say. And he said, Superman don't need no seat belts. And she was just about as quick as him, and she said, Superman didn't need an airplane. So she kind of got the last word in on that. Today I want to talk to you about the mind of Christ. And I want you to know that when I talk about the mind of Christ, I'm not talking about something abstract, something that's far removed. I'm talking about something that says that you and I may possess. We're going to look at the mind of Christ over the next two weeks, this week and next week. In verse 16 of chapter 2 of the, of the book of 2 Corinthians, it says, but when you are spiritually minded, you have the mind of Christ. In other words, you, you process stuff through his mind. You see things from his perspective instead of your perspective. Have you ever noticed when we have a question about a big issue in our life, we go to the people that are closest to us and try to get an answer? We try to get an opinion. Typically, what we're really trying to do is just get an affirmation of what we want to do, not really what is right or what does God want us to do. And oftentimes, the counsel that we seek around us aren't necessarily the best informants about what we should be doing. The book of Isaiah, let me just read this as kind of a setup for the mind of Christ. 
The Bible asks this question, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Think about all the waters on planet Earth. Who can measure that in the hollow of his hand? The implication here is obviously, who has measured heaven with the span the span of his hand and calculated the dust of the earth in a measure? So we know an awful lot. You know, many of you are very, very smart, very intelligent, and the rest of you, well, we don't know about. But, but think about it. You're, you're, you've got a lot going for you. But let me ask you, when you get into the divine world of big questions, who's measured all the waters of the earth in the hollow of his hand? Who can calculate the weight of all the specks of dust on the planet? And then it goes on to say this, who has weighed the mountains in their scales? Who has directed the Spirit of the Lord, or who has been his counselor? So what we do is we, we think about God being knowing all and, and possessing all this power and strength, but isn't it funny that we still go to our best friends and those closest to us to get advice what we really don't want because we want to do what we want to do to seek after our own pleasures. I want to ask you today, if you know the Lord, I want to ask you today to take the next 30 or 40 minutes that we have together, and I want you to ask God to give you his mind, that you process the big decisions you're working through right now through his counsel, through his word, by his spirit. In the word of God, we understand some things about faith, and I want to give you an example like this. Think of this statement. It might be one you want to write down. Faith explores what revelation provides. Faith explores what revelation provides. Now, let me illustrate so you understand what that means. Let's suppose you had a rich relative who left you an inheritance. You didn't know who they were. They just, it just your name came up in a will, and you were then given a great piece of land with buildings and streams and lakes, and, and it was phenomenal, and it was all yours. And you sat down with the legal counsel, and they explained that this was yours 100%. There was no indebtedness on it. It was yours free and clear. And, of course, you'd be excited about it. You can't wait to go see it and explore it. And they give you the legal descriptions, and that's good. And then they show you pictures, and that's good. And you get excited about that, but you want to go see it. The day comes, you get on a plane, you fly there, you get in a car, you go there, you pull up to the gate, and you see just a little bit of that inheritance. You see the buildings, you see some of the hills, but you can't see it all because there's, there's a great deal of acreage involved in this inheritance. And you can't wait to go explore it. You get out of the car and you begin to run up and down the hills and you can't believe it's yours. You reach down into the, into the dirt, you grab up a handful of the dirt, you smell it, you think, I can't believe this is mine. You make your way through a valley and over through a stream and to a lake, and there you, you can see yourself fishing in that lake. You see, you don't really realize the, the, the fullness of that revelation until you see it, until you explore it, but the fullness of it comes when you actually live on the land. Now, let's go back to that statement. Faith explores what revelation provides. When God gives you a revelation of what he's doing in your life or in your world, it is faith that causes you to explore it deeper and deeper. What will happen here today is some of you will have an impression given by the Holy Spirit. You will sense God talking to you in some way, urging you, moving you in some direction to do something, to know something, to act on something. 
Some of you, very few of you, will go out of here and you will pursue that. You will leave with an inspiration but not a revelation. You will leave with a move in your emotions, but it has not transformed you into the presence of God. What I want you to know is that for some of you who will pursue that course, it will be like going into the very depths in the heart of God where God will lead you into one path and it will take you into a deeper path of really understanding him. Now, the the depth of that will be clear as we go through this message today. Here's a second thought. The mind of Christ in you is always positive. Have you ever noticed how negative people drain you? They might be your best friend. They might, you might be married to them. They might be your mom, your dad, your children, but they're negative. And whenever you're around them, you feel like you're just getting drained continually, continually, and you don't give them up as friends because you love them and you care for them and you try to input into them as much as you possibly can. But I want you to know to have the mind of Christ is to be positive about life. Not to, be, not to ignore facts, but to be positive about life. Here's the truth. You cannot have a positive mind and a negative mind at the same time. You can't operate with duplicity. You have to operate with a single-minded focus on what God is up to and what God wants you to do. And have you ever noticed how Jesus was positive? They came and they said, we have a problem. We have a mountain in front of us. And he says, speak to the mountain. They brought to him a leper. He says, that's not a problem. I seem clean. Oh, this guy can't walk? That's not a problem. Rise up and walk. You don't have any money? He sends you to the right place into the water to find where all the fish are so that you can have all the riches you need. Every obstacle, every negative thought, he turned into a positive for your benefit. And when you begin to look at life through that set of lenses, you're going to see opportunities you've never seen before because that's who God is. God is the greatest one to bring you opportunity and insight ever. The second thought about when it comes to the positive mind, a positive mind produces a positive life. You can't have a positive life with a negative mind. I know people who are negative, and, they, and even though you try to redirect me, you say, yeah, but what about this? Yeah, I know, but I tried that positive stuff. And then you're thinking, well, this negative stuff's not working for you. We got to redirect our minds because you see, our mind is a key to understanding. Let me give it with this and illustrate with this quote. Bill Johnson said, "The mind is the essential tool in bringing kingdom reality to the problems and the crisis that people face." All right. Now think about this. God has made it to be the gatekeeper of the supernatural. You see, you bring information in through your five senses, right? You hear it, you see it, you taste it, you touch it, whatever. And you bring it in, it comes into your mind. Your mind then has to be the gatekeeper to determine what you're going to do with it. When it comes into your mind, it's your will that then acts on that, but then it moves into your heart or your spirit, man, and you begin to, to process that for either good or bad, for eternity or for just living in this time world we live in. But what if you took the gatekeeper, your mind, and you said, that mind has got to be like the mind of Christ. I've got to see things from his perspective. I've got to process things from his perspective. I can't let it just be about me and about reason. I've known people who've reasoned their way into drug usage. They had a deep problem, and they said, well, I don't know what to do, so I'm going to turn to this drug. It might be prescription, and it might be illegal. But either way, the effect is the same. 
People say, well, you know what? I've got a lot of living to do, and I want to do it now while I'm young. Yeah, but you know that will have a consequence on you somewhere down the road. You can't see it now, but it will have an effect on you. And what we want to do is we want to say, let me go from the mind of God instead of the mind of Phil or the mind of put your name, fill in the blank, right? All right, wisdom. Now watch this truth. Wisdom is held in reserve for the mature. Do you know that God has wisdom and he holds it in reserve? He says, if you really want wisdom, I'll give it to you. Now, you might think because you're older and lived a lot of life that you have wisdom. You have experience, but you may not have wisdom. Wisdom can only come from God according to Scripture. And I'm going to show you how powerful this is. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 6. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature. Now, that doesn't mean chronological age. In fact, Psalm 119.99 says that you have made me wiser than all my teachers because your word has instructed me. You see, you can be wise and have wisdom from God even if you're young. You can be smarter in, in, the, in the things that really count than you, all your teachers because of God's word. It says, yet, yet not the wisdom of this age. Now, we're going to talk about what that little phrase age means here. And uh, what I want to do is illustrate it like this. The Bible, when it talks about time, it often uses the word age or ages. And we know that time had a beginning. We can put creation here. We can say that's when God had a cre uh, time uh, to start. And then there's a culmination of time. And when we begin to study the, the Word of God, we know that God divides ages throughout the, the Bible into different little periods of time. And in those periods of time, God interacts with man. For example, God created the heavens and the earth, and then we see God dealing with Adam and Eve. Then we see God dealing a little bit later with Noah, and those are different times that we live in. We see God dealing with Moses, and that's a different time, and then through the prophets. And then finally, we say the Bible says that Jesus came in this present evil age. Christ came, was born among men. That was an age. That was a time of revelation for God. So there are these ages that God has. Now, notice what it says. It says, yet we speak among the mature, yet not the, the wisdom of this age, nor the rulers of this age, so he says, this age you're living in here, we don't, it's not that kind of wisdom. No, this is a wisdom from above. And it says, have the rulers who are coming to nothing. Now, what I want to do is I want to take you on a journey of what this revelation is all about. And if you'll listen carefully, if you have a heart to really understand, God's going to open up your eyes. Remember, some of you are going to leave inspired, some of you are going to leave bored, some are going to leave enlightened. Some of you are going to leave with a sense of revelation that you got closer into the heart and the mind of God. It's all up to you. It's always amazed me that two people could sit on the same row next to each other. One could grow just amazingly fast and understanding of what God wants them to do, and the other one didn't get a, have a clue. It has to do with your heart and your desire to know God and to walk in his presence. So let me just take you, if I can, to John chapter 17 and verses 22, and we're going to look at verse 24 as well. Now, in John's gospel in the 17th chapter, this is what we might call Jesus' prayer to the Father. It's right before the cross, he's praying. So his direction is just right here to the Father, 
unlike the one, the model prayer that you have in Matthew 6, you know, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be your name, okay? This one is Jesus praying, and he's giving us some insight into us. Now look at this. John 17, verse 22, and the glory which you gave me I have given to them. Now this is really interesting. He talks about his time before time. Remember, Jesus didn't come into existence uh, here. He was always the eternal Son of God. And as the eternal Son of God, he was the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But the Son was manifest, came and lived among us, did miracles in a time, right? But he was always the eternal Son of God before time ever began, all right? Now keep that thought in mind. It says, the glory which you gave to me, that is, who's the, who's, the Father gave the glory to the Son, and the Son has given it to who? To the followers, that they may be one just as we are one. Now go drop down to verse 24. Father, I desire, now look at this. Father, I desire that they may behold my glory. Do you, would you like to behold the glory of God? He says, that's my desire for you. I want you to really see God up close and personal. I want you to have a living encounter with God. I don't want God to be a a religion for you. I don't want it to be a ritual for you. I want you to know God. I want you to know the glory of God. Look what it says. Which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. Now keep that thought in mind. Before the foundation of the world. Before time. We think about time and past, present, and future. No, God says no. There's something even more powerful before time, before the foundation of the world. All right, now go over to John chapter 2, verse 11. John chapter 2 and verse 11. This is a story of Jesus and the miracle of turning water into wine. All right, how'd you like to have him at your party? Amen? I mean, he shows up, said, we got some water, not a problem. Let's just turn it all into wine for you, and we're going to celebrate tonight. Now, I know the Baptists don't like this verse, but it's just in there anyway, all right? Now, look what it says. This beginning the signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee. So the miracle of the turning water into wine was his first miracle. You got it? That was his first miracle. Pretty significant miracle, right? But that wasn't what was most significant. Look what it says. And manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. It wasn't the miracle of the turning water into wine that caused their faith. It was the manifested glory of God, and it says, and they believed. The glory is the presence of God revealed to you personally, individually. It's when you have an encounter with God, you say, I don't really know how to explain it. I don't know how to put it in words, but I feel like I've come into the presence or God is speaking to me. It might be a still, small voice. It might be something that's moving in your heart. But somehow you know you've encountered God in that moment. You've encountered his glory, and it brought you into faith. It brought you into a belief system that strengthened you and caused you to go even deeper and further with God. Now, remember, the most significant thing is not the miracle, it's the glory. Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, the Bible says, all have sinned and come short of the the glory of God. The problem is not that you've sinned. The problem is that you miss out on the glory. Sin gets in the way of glory. Get sin out of the way, you got all the glory. All have sinned and come short of the 
glory. I want to get the glory. Jesus said, I want to give you the glory. I want to manifest the glory. I want you to understand what it means to be in the presence of God. When I'm in the presence of God, when, I'm, when I know I have a God awareness, I have the mind of Christ. I can think like God thinks. I don't process stuff like I process stuff. It's easy to make decisions. Have you ever noticed how you may have a hard time making a decision? That's because you're not living in the mind of Christ. The only reason you're, you're complicating things is because as a believer, you're trying to live as an unbeliever. And it's hard to do because you, the Spirit of God is always saying, you know, why are you denying me? I'm not denying you. Why are you trying to live for you instead of live for me? Didn't you give me your heart? Didn't you say that I would be your God and you would be my son, you would be my daughter? Why are you trying to live as though you have a different father? I am your father. I am your glory. I am the lifter of your head. I am everything you need, and you want something else? You're an illegitimate son if you, if you act like that. You're an illegitimate daughter if you act like that. Have you ever met the king of kings? Can all of God come in you and not impact you and not influence you for his good? Don't turn away from him because you want something in your own life. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18, the Bible says that we with unveiled faces are beholding as in a mirror the glory of God. Imagine this. You look in a mirror, you see yourself. Whether you like what you see or not, it's not the point. In the spiritual realm, when you look in a mirror, you see the glory of God. God looks at you. You know what he's saying? He's saying, when I see you, I see my glory. I don't see you. I see my glory in you because you are made in my image and you are a reflection of my glory. You are made for my glory. You are transformed for glory. You are not made for you. You were made for me. And I, I see in you what you don't see in you. What you see is a sinner saved by grace. That's not what I called you. I called you a son and a daughter of the living God. That's what I called you. Now, why don't you start seeing yourself as I see you, and if you see yourself as you see as I see you, you won't make the decisions you make in life. It'll all be about him because you'll see things from eternity. You see, there is unmerited favor that gets you into the kingdom. It's called grace. But there is never unmerited rewards. You will not be rewarded because you believed in Jesus Christ. You will be saved because you believed in Jesus Christ. You will be rewarded because... You did good works here on earth because you followed after God, because you served God. I hear people say, well, I just want to get to heaven. That'll be good enough. That's not good enough. Why would you want to do that? That, that is totally misplacing everything this Bible teaches. The Bible says lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Why? Because you're going to need them one day. I, can you imagine getting to heaven and go, man, I just love heaven, and you're the pauper of the whole kingdom. Oh, I thought I was going to have be dialed in like everybody else, be living in the, in, in, the, in the big house. What happened to me? You made decisions on earth that prevented you from having riches in heaven. And now you find yourself in heaven with no way to, to generate heavenly riches. All heavenly riches are generated on earth for in heaven. They're not generated in heaven while you're in heaven. There's something wrong with a theology that says death will accomplish what I would not do for God while I was living. You think, well, I'm sacrificing so much. You have nobody in this room has sacrificed that much. Jesus said, you want to know what sacrifice is? God gave his only begotten son 
That's sacrifice. He was sinless, faultless, and he was humiliated and ridiculed and crucified. But God, but God, because of his faithfulness, he raised him from the dead and he gave him the power of the resurrection and he gives it to you. Amen? You have resurrection power because you're a son or a daughter of the living God. You're not just a human being. You were that before you met God. Now you're a son of God, a daughter of God. Watch this. Wisdom has a beginning. Wisdom doesn't start when you turn a certain age. Wisdom has a beginning according to Proverbs chapter 9, verses 10 and 11. Listen to what it says. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of is the beginning of wisdom. If I don't fear God, I have no wisdom according to Scripture. You might be smart and experienced. You might be talented, and you might have a lot to give to someone, and I don't doubt that. But without the fear of the Lord, you have no wisdom. You're operating in your own wisdom. The Bible says heavenly wisdom comes from above. Everything moves heaven to earth. That's the direction God works. Heavenly wisdom. It says earthly wisdom is from below. And it doesn't accomplish that which God intends. Now look what it says. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So when I go into this, I go into the fear of the Lord, I get wisdom. And when I get, once I get wisdom, I can have an understanding of the Holy One. You see, if I don't understand God's holy, then I think I can be unholy and love God and still be a Christian. Can I just say very clearly that we cannot go our own way and call ourselves Christian? We can call ourselves something else, but we can't call ourselves Christian according to the Word of God. You can call yourself carnal, you can call yourself compromised, you can call yourself whatever you want, but you're not, you're not walking out the Christ-like life. That's what it means to be a Christian. It says, for by me your days will be multiplied. Do you realize what it says? By wisdom and understanding your days are multiplied. You'll live longer life. And I believe that means a healthier life as long as you live. It also says, and your years of your life will be added. He says, you know what I'll do? If I had, if I had scoped out for you 70 years, I might give you another five. I'm going to give you a long life, and I'm going to add to your life more years. We see examples in Scripture where God did just that thing. Wisdom is the principal thing, the Bible says. Proverbs chapter 4, verses 5 and 9. Listen to this. Get wisdom, get understanding. You ever just wanted something, you just had to get it? We were sitting at home the other day, and I, and I said, Tammy, I want some popcorn. I love pop. Don't you love popcorn? Wouldn't you love a bag of popcorn during church? Wouldn't that be awesome? Just sit around and snack. You know, when we used to be in the movie theater before we were here a couple years ago, we were rented the theater over there, and people, you know, they'd come walking in with popcorn and nachos, and, you know, it's really hard to preach. I'm telling you what, you got a dude sit on the front row with nachos, drinking a big soda. It's hard to, to finish a sermon. You, you find the sermons are shorter. I'm going to get my own nachos, amen? All right. So anyway, um, so I want some popcorn, and, I, and I, she said, well, we've got popcorn up there. And I said, that's used popcorn. What do you mean used popcorn? I said, well, you bought it in a bag. It was already popped, and you already opened it, and it's used popcorn. I want fresh pop. I want hot popcorn. She said, heat it up. It'll get stale. I'm not doing that. I'm going to get popcorn. I get in my car. I drive down to get popcorn. Get popcorn was my message. Amen? Right? Here's what he says. Get wisdom. Get some wisdom. Well, you know what you can do with wisdom? You can do more with wisdom than you can do with anything else. You got wisdom. Solomon said, God says, what do you want, Solomon? I'm going to grant your prayer. I'm going to grant your vision. I'm going to grant your, your request. He says, I want wisdom. God says, because you asked for wisdom and didn't ask for something for yourself, I'm going to make you the richest man on earth. If he'd asked for riches, I don't believe God would have blessed him with riches. You get wisdom, 
You get everything you need. Do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Don't be listening to somebody else. Well, so-and-so thought it would be okay. Oh, yeah, are they God? Huh? I mean, think about it. What does God say on the subject? And, And look what else it says here. Listen to the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her, and she will what? She's going to preserve you. Love her, and she will keep you. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And in all you're getting, get understanding. Exalt her, and she'll promote you. She will bring you honor, and when you embrace her, she will place on your head an ornament of grace, a crown of glory, and she will deliver you. Look at the promises. Wisdom's going to promote you. You want a promotion? It comes from wisdom. You tired of where you are? Go get wisdom. Don't try to make it on your own. Trust God. See what God can do. Amen? It says he'll bring you honor. You want honor? God, wisdom will bring you honor. You don't have to honor yourself. God will bring it. Put an ornament of grace on you and and crown you with glory. Deliver you from your situation. You want to get out of that situation you're in? Wisdom will show you how to get out of that. I was driving here to work the other day, and it was early in the morning, and I came by the Hillsborough School over there, and all of a sudden a policeman came up right behind me. Now, I don't know about you, and we have a lot of wonderful officers in our church. We have about 20 or so officers in our church, love all of them, you know, and, and, uh, and, and I want them all to help me out if I ever do anything wrong. And, <laughs> amen. I, I mean, I'm not afraid to beg or cry or do anything else, man. But, um, but I, so I, I make the turn, and all of a sudden a policeman comes right up behind me. And I don't know about you, but I think I'm guilty just by seeing him behind me. Right? I'm checking. I got seatbelt on yet? See my in my insurance up to date? Yeah, I think that's okay. Tail lights working? I think so. Yeah, got license. I mean, I'm, I'm going through the inventory, right? And so I'm thinking, well, I'm going to get down here to Kaiser, take a left, go to church, and you know, if he turns right, I'm safe. And he turned left. He's right on my tail. I think, oh Lord Jesus, you know, please come back right now or <laughs> strike that man with blindness for just a few minutes. <laughs> Help me out a little bit, Lord. So I turn into church, and he follows right behind me. And I'm thinking, oh, no, it's getting worse. I go in front of the church. I turn in here to go to the coffee shop, and he turns in to go to the coffee I said, Jesus, this is all over. You know, I'm getting out of the car like this. You know what I mean? Well, just arrest me now. I know I did it. I, I'm sorry. I probably did some other stuff you don't know about, but just go ahead and take me now, right? He gets out of the car, and I look over him. He looked like a friendly guy. I go, hey, how you doing? He goes, great. As soon as I get my coffee, I think, thank you, Jesus. This man loves coffee. Amen? I mean, you know, I just felt like, I don't know if it was an answer prayer or whatever it was, but I just thinking, thank you, God, you know. So we come into the coffee shop, and I said, hey, I'm going to buy you your coffee. Oh, you don't need to do that. Oh, yes, I do. You have no idea. <laughs> and I'm gonna, I may need you somewhere down the road, so we're going we're gonna to be, we've got to talk right now. You come in here, and his name's William. He works for Anaheim Police. He's a sergeant. And so uh, we come in. He says, man, what, now what is going on over here? And I said, well, it's a church. Come on in. Let me show you, you know, and walk him in here, walk him around, take him up the front, show him the prayer wall and bring him back in. And I said, can I pray for you? You know, and most of the people in our coffee shop during the week are just people from the community, from the businesses. And I got my hand on the, around, the, around his shoulder, you know, and I'm praying. And dear Jesus, I just pray for William. Just pray you're going to bless him, protect him, be with him, be with his family, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And, and uh, amen, you know. And I thought, Wow, what I thought in my own wisdom was bad. See what God was doing? He's walking out and he says, what time are your services? The next day, I'm here in the front. Another sergeant comes in from traffic, Anaheim police, telling us about a race that's going to be out here. 
I look at him, I say, do you like coffee? <laughs> I do. I took him back here. Sure. By the time he's late, he says, you know, what time are your services? See, the wisdom of God always supersedes your wisdom and your understanding. Because most of the, every time you have fear, watch this, every time you drop into fear, it's because of your own wisdom and your own understanding. Perfect love casts out all fear. God is perfect love. All fear is cast out of God. If you have fear right now, you're not living in perfect love. Just reject it. The enemy wants to keep you there. He can't take your soul from heaven, so what he's going to do? He's going to take, he's going to take joy and love from your heart so that you live in fear. Just reject that. The mysteries are for your glory. Let me go on. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. But we speak wisdom of God in a mystery. You ever heard of mystery? See, the Bible, the definition of biblical mystery is um, that which is hidden only to be revealed by God at the right time. It's the word mysterion. God has some mysteries for you, but he's not going to give them to every one of you. He's only going to give to, to those of you who are really hunger after that. There's no depth to what God will show you. Who has advised the Lord? Who has is, who is, who is he sought as his counselor? He knows all things as well as he knows anything else. He's never learned anything, never got an advisor, never had an aha moment in his life. He is God. Why wouldn't you go him? I'm going to go to my friend. What do they know? Not much, but, you know, they're in college. Hey, I don't know about you. I remember what I knew in college. It was, I knew a lot more than I thought I did. Amen? All right. Look what else it says, the hidden wisdom. You see, some wisdom's hidden. God hides stuff from you. I'm going to explain that to you here in a minute. Hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the ages, look at what it says. What does it say? He hid it for your glory. When did he hide it? Go back to your chart. Before the foundation of the world, before the ages. He had, he had hidden wisdom for you before he made you. And guess what it was for? It was for your glory. So when you get the glory, when, you, when God says, look, it's for your glory because you're a son of God, and then when, I, when glory comes into me, guess what I get to do is I get to give it back to God. Because I can't, I don't have any glory of my own. I only got his glory. I get his glory. I go, here, God, can I have, give you my glory? I'm going to give you Glory. which none of the rulers of this age knew, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. See, a mystery has two qualities. One is to conceal and one is to reveal. If you ever known something you wouldn't tell anybody? Don't you love it? I, hey, I know something, but I can't tell you. That's just a setup for punishment. But God hides some things because he wants you to dig it out. You see, now watch this truth. We don't unlock mysteries. They're unlocked for us or to us by the Spirit of God. You can't, you can't find the mysteries of God because you read the Bible. You, you, you understand the mysteries of God because you have a heart to understand and the Spirit of God reveals something to you. And, you, and some of you have a heart for it. You know, you've heard my, my rule of 12. The rule of 12 is Jesus had 12 disciples, right? Three of them were on the inner circle, Peter, James, and John. He gave them the most truth. He brought them up on the Mount of Transfiguration. He gave them the deeper things of God because they had a heart for it. Eight were along for the ride. Those eight other guys, they're there. They're good disciples. They're followers, but you don't hear much about them. And then one would betray you. Here's a rule of 12. Three people will be on your inner circle. Eight will be on along for the ride, and one will betray you. Take 12 people in your life and see if it doesn't work that way. Just a thought. 
Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 3, some people call this God's phone number. Call to me and I will answer you and I will show you great and mighty things which you do not know. You know what's interesting here? The mighty things are not big and lofty and powerful and rich things. You know what it literally means in the Hebrew? It means mysteries, inaccessible things. I'll show you inaccessible things if you'll call upon me. I'll give you some deep stuff. They are only unlocked to those who hunger for them. You can't get them unless you hunger with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. But God has not hidden these from us, but he's hidden them for us. God has said, I'm going to give you something. I want to, I want to understand something. You know, it's really interesting. Have you ever known a parent that commended a child for being stingy? You know, you get a kid a new toy and his buddy comes over and let, you, let, let Johnny play with it. No. You're a good kid. That's what I want you to do is I want you to be stingy with your toys. I mean, can you imagine this scene, right? I, don't you ever share because they might break it. And after all, it is yours. You hold on to it. Have you ever known a parent that would commend a kid for being selfish? What makes you think God is commending you for being selfish? You take a, you take a parent if they got a sane mind and they get a toy and little Johnny comes over and he says, you don't even have to be told by mom. Little, little boy says, would you like to play with my toy? That parent beams up with a big smile because they see generosity and love in the heart of their child. That's what God wants in us, just a, a spirit of generosity and love. All right? Proverbs chapter 25 and verse 2, it is the glory of God to conceal a matter. You know what God says? It's my glory when I hide something from you. But watch this. But the glory of kings is to search out a matter. You know what? You're a king. You're a king and a priest of God in his kingdom. He says when you search it out, it's going to be for your glory. You're going to have a lot of fun with it. Divine revelation is a normal thing. Listen to this, 1 Corinthians 2.9. But it is written, eye has not seen, ear heard, nor entered into the heart of man those things which is prepared for those who love him. Do you realize that whatever you hear, whatever you see, is not anything compared to what God has for you? I heard a story about an elderly couple who were sitting down in rocking chairs. They were rocking, talking back and forth, and neither one of them could hear. And uh, the man said, you know, our, honey, our love is tried and true. She said, what? I said, our love is tried and true. What would you say? I said, tried and true. She said, I'm tired of you too. <laughs> hey, God's got some stuff for you to hear. The revelation of God is continually expanding. What God revealed here is only a portion of what God is revealing here. You're living not in this day of Moses or Elijah. You're living the day, the fullness, watch this, the fullness of the Spirit, Holy Spirit lives in you, the fullness of revelation and the fullness of time. No one has ever lived in a period of time where there's greater revelation than you. The pace of revelation will increase. The rate at which God is revealing stuff is going to increase toward the end of the age. Look what it says in Amos 9.13. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper. The plowman's plowing, but the, the fruit is, giving, is coming forth before you, the plowman even gets there. See, that's miracles, isn't it? 
He said, you're, you're, here's a plowman. Would you hurry up? Would you go faster? Because the fruit's already coming and you haven't even plowed. You haven't planted the seed yet. You haven't even watered and I'm already giving you more. Because you know what? You're my son, you're my daughter, and I created you for glory. I'm going to give you that which you don't even understand. We're living in a season of supernatural revelation. Bill Johnson put it like this, an encounter with God will not only shape the world around you, it will shape the world through you. You will be a changer of the world, a transformer of people, a change agent in society to do good. Here's a couple of life applications. Here's the first one. Ask God to give you his thoughts. You got your thoughts. You got others' opinions. Have you got God's thoughts yet? God, what do you think about this? Some of you know my son Josh. When he was uh, about 16, he came to me and he wanted to go to this uh, Halloween house, this party, you know, and it was, I knew it was going to really be bad. It It had a reputation of really being bad. But I knew somehow I had to raise him up to be a son who would become one day a father. He said, can I go? And I said, I'm not going to tell you yes or no. I'm going to tell you to go up to your room and you pray about it. If God tells you yes, you can go. If he tells you no, then you, I want you to honor what God tells you. Well, he didn't really like the answer, as you can well imagine, right? So he kind of stomped upstairs. About 30 seconds later, he was back down. And I was a little nervous. I didn't know what he was going to say. I thought, you know, he could go up there and say, hey, God told me it was fine. And you know what I was prepared to do? I was prepared to say, then that's fine. You go. Because I have to teach him how to be a man. He came down. I said, what did God say? He said, you know what God said. I said, I just want to hear from your mouth. What did he say? God said, I can't go. He said, what would you have said if I said God told me to go? I said, I'd already prepared. I was going to tell you to go. You see, you're only under my watch care so long and so far. And then you have to grow up and be a man. And if you think just because you get a little older that you, can't, you, you can avoid the divine authority of God, then you're going to make more mistakes worse than this one. He's reflected back on that several times. He said, Dad, that was some of the best advice I ever got in my life. I'm already using it with my kids. They're six and four years old. Secondly, move with confidence in the Spirit of God. Once God puts his thoughts in your mind, and you know it's biblically true, you know it's consistent with the way God works in your world, then move in confidence in the Spirit of God. Just move with God. The only, reason I, the only reason I hesitate is because I haven't got the mind of Christ. When I get the mind of Christ, I know exactly what to do. I don't even have to pray about it. God just showed me what I need to do. See, prayer is to search out what God's trying to do. Once God shows you what to do, then you just move in it. You act on it. Amen? Let's stand together and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just, uh, just want to magnify your name today. God, you have created us to be sons and daughters of the living King. God, we don't even know what that means in, in its fullness, God, but we know it must be really good. It just must be really good, God, because you wouldn't give us that honor and you wouldn't give us that glory 
You don't treat us like paupers. You treat us like sons and daughters of the living God, and we want to live that out in our life. We want to give you glory. We want to we want to be prepared for glory, an eternal weight of glory, far beyond all we could ever ask or think, God. We give you praise this day. We thank you, God. And just as, as we sing through this song right now, I want you just in your own heart, you can sing it out, you can remain there in an attitude of prayer or whatever, but I want you just to think about this. I am a son, a daughter of the living God, and he prepared me for glory. He prepared you for glory. Isn't that great news? Amen. Let's just sing it out, all right? <laughs> 